Hi, my name is Marjan Farid. I'm from the University of California, Irvine, Gavin Herbert Eye Institute. And my name is Nicole Fram, and I'm from Advanced Vision Care in Los Angeles. Hello, and welcome to this Presbyopia Management interview with the experts. Today, we are going to discuss innovations and pharmacological treatments for the presbyopic patients. So, and I'm joined here by my good friend, Nicole. So Nicole, what are some of the key efficacy, safety, and comfort considerations when using these new pharmaceutical presbyopia treatments? What are the most important criteria that you're looking for when you're considering using these for your patients? So Marjan, I think this is a really exciting time because finally people care about what's happening after 40. And hopefully these presbyopia drops will help us bridge that gap from 40 to 55-ish where we can actually have some near vision that doesn't involve you know, just the traditional reading glasses. So when I think about what's happening to me um, as I'm growing up, um, I would like to see a drop that is comfortable, that is titratable and doesn't have a lot of side effect profiles. And then most importantly, I don't wanna have to you know, lose my distance vision just to get my near vision. So these kind of things are gonna become really important as we move forward with figuring out which drops coming to market will fit each different stage of presbyopia. Absolutely. You know, and it's so interesting because you're right. Finally, you'd think in this, you know, day and age of technology, we would have already solved this problem. So it's it's the long time coming and it's exciting that we finally have an option available or we're going to very soon. Um, you know, I've had so many of my friends my age who've had LASIK, similar to me, have had great distance vision for years and now losing their near vision. And they're like, what do you mean you can't do anything for me? You know, they, they've been coming to me for the past few years. What do you mean, can't just do a laser so I can get my reading vision back? And of course, you know, you can't lose your distance. And it's been so hard to say, just, just go get glasses. So now, you know, once we have these pharmac pharmacological treatments available, you're absolutely right. You know, you, you want them to work. So you want them to be efficacious. You want them to be safe, obviously, because it's, it's an elective drop and you want them to be comfortable. I think patients um, are not gonna put a drop in if it hurts, if it burns, if it irritates the eye, it's gotta be something that makes the quality of life better. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think about this all the time. A lot of the drops that are coming to market are uh, pilocarpines. So those are gonna be like the Allergan pilocarpines, probably gonna be the initial drop that comes to market. It's 1.25% and they change the pH to make it more comfortable and to also make it penetrate better and last longer. Um, now, if I got a little bit of a headache when I use this drop, I'd probably be okay with that because near vision is that important to me. Um, there's other drops that are coming out from Orisys that are a lower percentage um, uh, pilocarpine, and that may be better for our early presbyopes, right? But all of them have to have the efficacy, right? So all of them have to be able to deal with that. And then later on, uh, there's drops that are coming out like Brimacol by Vices, um, and that drop is really interesting because it has two mechanisms of action. So one is the carbacol that'll make it a meiotic, but the other is the bromonidine at a low dose that would help with the ciliary spasm and also do a little bit of eye whitening. Um, so that may be better because it's more long acting and that might be better towards the end of the day. 
um, I mean, lasting, sorry, the whole day instead of just lasting for three or four hours and then you have to put another drop in. What do you think about like the different stages of what we're going to go through? Yeah, absolutely. The nice thing is we're going to have some options, as you mentioned. So there's several companies as, as you beautifully sort of summarize the next three that are sort of in line to hit the market earliest. There's a little bit of variation between them and they may be specific for certain populations. You're absolutely right. A lot of that remains to be seen. The nice thing is the data on all of them is very nice. It's showing that they're meeting all of their uh, endpoints, that that there is efficacious functional reading that uh, patients are able to achieve with the drop placed. And uh, yeah, it's going to come down to a little bit of comfort, uh, length of um, duration of treatment and effect. I like that some of these are, you know, maybe six hour duration, some maybe eight, you know, there's a little bit of choice because I, I don't think patients all will necessarily want a longer lasting, it, the fact that it's titratable and patients are able to um, decide when they want to use it, what days do they want to use it? Is it only when I go to work and when I come home, I'm going to put my glasses on? It's it's really going to come down to uh, patient preference. And I think the fact that there's choice is going to be great. Yeah. So, you know, you think about, well, wouldn't I just want it to last all day? My concern is that what if I get a little bit of a headache or some things happen because these are myotics and, and you can have a little bit of that going on with any drop. I would like to be able to say, okay, I need it to stop in the next four hours then have it last for 12 hours. But once you're eight hours, once you're at, in your fifties or, or a little bit later than your fifties, you may need a more powerful medicine to help, you know, maintain that meiotic and that depth of focus, you know, at that level level of presbyopia. So I think there's going to be, you know, everybody's like, oh, there's so many things coming to market and it's too much competition. But I think there's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see what place each of these medicines fit in. Absolutely. Um, and you mentioned there's different types of people. You're going to have your young presbyopes, you're going to have your older presbyopes, and there might be variability both in lifestyle and what they require, as well as, you know, what their needs are, um, how much of a uh, pupil constrictor will they need? Yeah, absolutely. All so right. Nicole, which patients do you think will be the best candidates for using these pharmaceutical treatments? Yeah, so I think it's patients that are going to be like the low hyperopes or the latent hyperopes. Um, and then people that really just don't want to wear reading glasses. Like I can tell you that my reading glasses are in my purse, that I literally will take pictures of things and then zoom in. Like my level of denial is so extreme. And, you know, people will say, well, you're, yeah, yeah. I don't even know where mine are. Right. So, um, so I think that there's just certain people and we've been so spoiled, right, where we have had great vision, you had great vision after your LASIK, and we're just not accustomed to doing this. So I, I do think that it's going to be a lot of people in, you know, entering their presbyopia, then you're going to have people that are maybe pseudophagic that we aimed for distance and only time will tell with these different medicines if just decreasing the pupil size will give them enough depth of focus to be able to kind of read their phone on large print or their computer. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, it's a new generation of 40 year olds, right? We're not used to, I, I think 40 is the new 30, right? We're not used to wearing glasses. Talking about. <laughs> Look at you. I, well, it's, it's the first sign of aging is right. 
we need to go into glasses. We don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I've enjoyed um, spectacle-free vision since I've had my LASIK. And, um, and this is what we're going to see. I think more um, patients who are entering their 40s, the millennials are turning 40 this year. Um, we're going to see this huge uh, desire for uh, pharmaceutical treatment. So I think the, the market is out there. I think the patients are out there. And these are patients who don't go and see uh, an eye care physician. So in another way, this um, entering presbyopia and the ability to now prescribe these pharmaceuticals is going to draw these 40, 50 year olds into an eye care professional to get an eye exam. I think we're going to pick up more early glaucoma. We're going to pick up more uh, dry eye disease. Uh, we're going to pick up earlier cataracts. We're going to pick up earlier retinal issues. So I think it's good for the entire ophthalmic industry. It's good for patients um, because it's also going to draw these patients into their eye care professionals. So yeah, absolutely. And do you notice that your patients in your in their 50s are just kind of more um, aggressive about asking about lens exchange for presbyopia correcting IOLs? Are you seeing that in your practice? And do you think that this can bridge them so that we're not doing surgery too early on certain patients? Absolutely. I see a lot of 50-year-olds who come in. These are patients who have had great vision or maybe just those low hyperopes that you mentioned. And now they're starting to need glasses, not only for reading, but also their distance. And you just want to tell them, yeah, but you don't quite have a cataract. Just, you know, wait a little bit longer. And it's frustrating. They don't want to wait. They want to do something. So clear lens exchange is, is you know, we're seeing more of that. But I think this will bridge that gap. We're going to be able to uh, one, delay the need for um, early, early cataract surgery a little longer, but also when these patients do need cataract surgery, ultimately, I think um, our, our rate of offering presbyopic treating IOLs will go up as well because patients will enjoy spectacle-free vision and they'll want to maintain that even after cataract surgery. Yeah, absolutely. I think also the hard part is, is that, you know, if I talk to a 50 something year old and I say, okay, let's do a lens exchange. That's assuming that the technology that I'm going to put in is as good as your natural lens. And we all know that these lenses are great, but they have side effects of dysphotopsia and halo and glare. So you don't, you know, just like we said earlier, like we want to replace the problem with a better solution. And it's not always the case when you do clear lens exchange. So I do think that if this really does come to market and we figure out who's going to do well with different things, we can actually um, bridge that gap and make sure that the risk benefit ratio is there at the right time. Nicole, the other area that's very interesting is can these pharmaceutical treatments be used in pseudophagic patients and how will that work? What do you think? You know, I don't know, you know, we know that a camera has an f-stop and if you decrease the f-stop that you get a better depth of focus. So the question is, will you know, there's always a sweet spot with myotics, right? So you don't want to go below 2.3 you know, millimeters. Um, so we need to figure out which drops will get us to that sweet spot without diminishing the distance vision or dimming vision. So that's going to be the part that we need to look at. I think the efficacy of that only time will tell. It would be very exciting because, you know, when I was training, it was make everybody distance, right? And they'll wear reading glasses. 
And now, you know, we're doing a ton of mini monovision, micro monovision, trifocal, EDOF. And so it would be really, really exciting to take those patients that are coming in saying, hey, can you take out my lens and put in one of those newer lens, lenses that'll help me read up close and give them a drop that can hopefully help them get that depth of focus. Absolutely. This is very exciting. All of those patients who had monofocal lenses placed, uh, even patients who may have a little mild glaucoma or some macular changes where, you know, they're not a candidate for multifocal technology, let's say, but they really want a little bit more depth of focus. I think it's exciting to see how these pharmaceutical drops and pupil modulation um, can affect depth of focus in this group of patients too. So I think, um, you know, there's a lot of potential for using these drops outside of just that 40 to 55 year old patient, but even beyond that, maybe those pseudophagic monofocal patients. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you have certain patients and they bring their friend in and they say, well, my friend got this, you know, is getting this great lens. Why couldn't you have done that for me, doc. And so to be able to help them um, really get to the same level as the people that are around them getting the new technology lenses would be amazing. Absolutely. So we hope that today's conversation highlighted some of the newest pharmaceutical presbyopia treatments. It's been so great hearing the perspectives from my good friend, Marjan Farid, who's this incredible um, doctor who's gonna implement all these things into her practice as well. We wanted to really give you an understanding of where we think that these treatments are gonna fit into our patients' lives to help improve that patient gap from 40s to 55s and help people read up close besides reading glasses. And we encourage you to get more details on the Presbyopia Management course series and reading CRST supplement entitled Matching Today's Presbyopia Correcting Innovations with Specific Patient Needs. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.